Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading researchers, authors, and clinicians discussing issues in attachment theory. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. Today, Karen continues her four-interview, eight-part series on family therapy and attachment theory with part one of her conversation with Tim Galvin about attachment conversations in love relationships. Part two will be released on November 8th. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. I am your host, Karen Doyle Buckwalter, joining you here from Chaddock for another episode. We are continuing our series in looking at family therapy and attachment theory. And today I am going to be introducing our guest, who is Tim Galvin. So, some of you who may have listened to the beginning, of this series when Michelle Robison interviewed me may recall that I talked about being in a two-year postmaster's marriage and family therapy training program through Menier Clinic. And Tim Galvin, who I'm going to interview today, happens to have been one of my instructors there. And I just remember learning so much from him. He had this way of being very practical about about marriage and about concepts that were being written about in marriage and family therapy. He always had these really wonderful, very pithy, to the point comments that really stuck with you. So I'm just really, really excited that I was able to track him down after all of these years. What is incredible is that I called him on the day that he was cleaning out his office for retirement. So I feel like, you know, it was meant to be that I was able to find him in order to have him be part of this series. So let me get to a little bit about his background. He has a Master of Social Work from the University of Missouri in Columbia. He graduated with that in 1978. He has had a lot of different faculty and teaching positions. He taught at the Washington University School of Social Work in St. Louis and also the St. Louis Medical School Department of Psychiatry in St. Louis. Something else I find so interesting about him that I have not come across very often is not only is he a licensed clinical social worker, but he is also um, a licensed marriage and family therapist. And he has worked um, in the field of marriage and family therapy for his entire career. And I was so fortunate to be able to sit under his instruction through the marriage and family therapy program at many year clinic was just a really fabulous part of my career development so without further ado i am going to bring him on stay tuned just a minute and we will be with tim galvin 
Supporting children and families who have experienced great loss and endured extreme trauma is a daunting task. At Chaddock, we have the experience and longevity to understand the type of support needed to keep the best and brightest engaged with this work. In January, the Knowledge Center at Chaddock will launch the next session of the Developmental Trauma and Attachment Institute for helpers who seek to be rejuvenated and revitalized in their work with children and families. This type of renewal and confidence is a natural byproduct of gaining specialized knowledge, advanced skills, consultation, guidance, mentorship, and most importantly, being in a community providing the experience of being seen and understood. We have designed an experience and a soft place to land where all of these needs will be met in one central place. For more information on the Developmental Trauma and Attachment Institute, to join the waitlist for more information or to sign up, visit tkcchaddock.org. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. I am here with Tim Galvin, and we are going to be talking about just some of the history of family therapy, like what happened to it, where did it go, what's the state of it today, and also how it overlaps with attachment theory. So uh, welcome to the show, Tim. Thank you. It's good to be back. Yeah. So one of the things that I've been thinking about so much since finishing the marriage and family therapy program at Menninger Clinic that you were an instructor for is I feel like year after year, there's less and less people like young therapists and therapists working with children who are thinking systemically. And I wonder what your thought, like, do you agree with that pattern? Have you seen that as well? What are your thoughts about any of that? Oh, I I think that's absolutely true. And, um, you know, honestly, uh, I was trained in uh, family therapy in 1982, Uh, started a a two-year formal training program, AMFT-approved program, and... um, in the mid to late 80s and even into the early 90s, most of the people, I, most of my colleagues did family therapy. They saw parents and children in the same room at the same time and did therapy. And by the end of the, and end of the 90s, myself and one other colleague of mine were the only two people still doing that in this group that we were in. Many of them have moved towards couples therapy, um, but um, others were back to seeing kids individually, uh, which you know was a kind of a surprising and a little discouraging um, uh, development for me, being a family therapist. Um, yes, and and what what would be the outcry from family therapists who were part of this big movement and an understanding of systems? You know, what are some of the things that they would be saying about, you know, treating so many children individually without involving the family system? Well, I think the outcry is is that they were missing the larger picture. Um, You and I both know that when you get uh, two people in a room, the story, uh, the plot thickens, so to speak. And you get different perspectives and, and different experiences that come to play that really do uh, create the complexity of someone's life, really. I mean, we all live in relationships. Um, 
and our our story, our perspective, uh, is is one of many uh, experiences and perspectives. Uh, and and the more people you get in the room talking, the richer I think the the conversation becomes. And and actually, I, I think the more options come open to working with people around impasses and conflict and disconnection and and helping them understand. Um, not just what's happening to them, but the impact they're having on others, which which is what I think the value of systemic thinking is. Yeah, the impact they're having on others, and I that that that's how I ended up in the training program with you and your team there because I had been. I don't know if I would say developing especially area. I'm not quite sure you could call it that, but I was working with a lot of children with a lot of trauma and a lot of attachment disruptions in the foster care system mm-hmm. and the and children adopted internationally from orphanage care. And there was a lot of talk about reactive attachment disorder. It was a really big buzzword. And there were these, you know, therapies being developed for kids with RAD and, you know, that they, that these traditional techniques don't work and we need these holding therapies and things like that. A lot of it was actually a disaster. But I rem- I had come from an agency that was, um, prior to to the job I had at Shaddock that was very immersed in systems theory, had my supervisors were always taking courses at Georgetown University. And I realized I was getting so focused on the pathology of the child that I wasn't thinking about anything else. And it kind of freaked me out. Mm -hmm. I was like, wait a minute, like this where is all this other, you know, I wasn't, it wasn't like I'd been doing therapy for 20 years, you know, so it wasn't like, I don't know that that thinking was in my bones yet, so to speak. And I felt myself losing it and missing ways that caregivers were contributing to the children's difficulties, completely missing it. And just like the child has rad, that explains this. So well, that was the danger for me. That was the big danger for me that brought me to your yeah. program. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting you say that. You know, I um, especially thinking about um, marriages and families and um, kids' attachment to their parents' marriage. I I, um, I think of a marriage as an umbrella over a child. You know, it's a covering. It's it's it creates a sense of security, protection. Um, and when 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 parents get divorced, that that umbrella gets cut in half in a way. I, I mean, the protection is is felt less. We know that kids are very attuned to their parents' relationship. Um, and uh, when when couples are struggling, it does create anxiety and and concern and distress in kids. Uh, and kids, uh, as I said, they attach themselves to their parents' marriage. That's part of the attachment that kids make. It's not just to each parent, but it's to the to the marriage, to the parents being together. And when when that relationship uh, is struggling or is is really in jeopardy of falling apart, it creates a lot of anxiety and uncertainty in children. 
uh, and as you know, because you've worked a lot with kids, uh, create symptoms. Uh, that that uh, that insecure experience that they're having where they're not sure that really the most important relationship, their attachment to their parents is possibly falling apart and what that means for them. Yes. So we live in a system, um, you know, when we study uh, things like biological systems or, or uh, you know, other larger, it's, it's all systems work that we're doing, uh, in, including all the technology that's going on. Uh, and, and, and to not think of the human relationship as being uh, embedded very much in a system of other relationships uh, makes no sense. Uh, right, right. Yeah. And I certainly recognize that the trauma and abuse and neglect and all of those things that a child experienced outside the family system right. are then imported into the family system. And and so then, you know, people were saying, so you, you can't really look at the parents or the family system or anybody because, I mean, it's absolutely not their fault. Like none of this happened in, in a foster and adoption situation. You know, they weren't responsible for any of this. But as time went on, I began to realize, well, that is, of course, 100 percent true. Oh. And it's also true that there could be patterns in the current system that are either fueling or maintaining or exacerbating some of these things that weren't originally created in the family system. It's like I was very binary in my thinking and, and the people around me were thinking like that, like, yeah, you can't use a family systems model here because the kids were in a different system. And then it was oh. like, well, wait a minute, it, could it be a both and? Well, let me give you an example. In the 1980s, I was working at a family service agency, and one of the, the groups that we were seeing the most were Americans who had gone over to Russia to adopt these children who had been abandoned in these um, orphanages, nurseries, uh, and neglected, severely neglected for you know up to two or three years. So these American families that were very loving, very concerned, very caring, went over and adopted these babies and, and young children and brought them back to the United States. And, um, you know, Dan Siegel talks about it takes a brain to make a brain. Yes. But these kids didn't have a brain. That There right. was not brain for them. So, so their brain development was impaired, not any fault of the American adopting family. But as, as these American parents began to engage and get close and kiss and have all this contact with these kids, uh, we saw a ton of uh, reactive attachment problems. And, it, and it, wasn't, it wasn't what the parents were doing. And it, it wasn't even what the kids were doing. It's that the kids had nothing in the development of their brain that told them or indicated to them or reinforced the fact that closeness and caring and kissing and cuddling uh, was safe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it, it, you know, the work was reorienting these parents to try to understand um, in the, what was going on in the brain of these kids, what they didn't have. And yes. there was a process of, of long-term conditioning 
for these parents to understand that, that they needed to start very slow. They needed to be very intentional. They needed to communicate a lot uh, before they did things that would startle these, these children because, again, their brain had nothing that told them this was good. Yes. Of course, it was very scary for these parents, and they felt terribly rejected, and they felt, you know, terribly like they were failures. And, yes. And it, it was the larger system. It was the history of these kids and the fact that these kids did not have a brain, an adult human-loving brain, to help their brain develop. Yes, and I and then I think where the systemic piece comes into play is that rejection of of caregiving because of that can awaken other feelings of rejection in the caregiver's history. That's so right. That's that's the piece that's coming together, not that they are responsible for that or that they did that or that, you know, it's all on them to fix that but that it those feelings of rejection or being unloved that's right and really awaken things from one's own history and i think that that is part of what i was not understanding fully yeah yeah And, and karen you're you're absolutely right um you know it triggered a lot of these parents um around their own their own history and and what we know i mean les greenberg calls it correction corrective emotional experience that people are looking for and trying to do and and uh, whether they're parenting or whether they're in a you know a love relationship uh, as adults that they're looking for that corrective emotional experience and these parents experienced a great deal of rejection and it was very difficult mm-hmm. and these were very dedicated people i mean yes. <laughs> what to go through yes. to get these children from Russia to the United States was astronomical. Mm-hmm. So they're huge. And in some ways, that was part of their investment, which which made that rejection even more difficult. Yes. Yeah, there's just oh, it's another podcast, probably, but there's so much there, too, even, you know, one of the things that i mean there's russian adoptions aren't happening anymore Um, but early on starting this work we did have many russian kids at chadak that we worked with and the other thing that i became very aware of god there were so many things (laughs) that i needed to become aware of but one was that this idea of vulnerability yeah is um depending on the history of your country it is it is not a good idea and so you know expecting um some of these adolescents now to become vulnerable with their parents and treatment providers when they had you know, maybe lived in generations of, you know, be careful what you say, be careful what you breathe, be careful who you talk to, being very um, entrenched in them was something we had to also understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think of uh, of kids who um, struggle with attention deficit disorder. And um, I, I ran a clinic. Um, there was a psychiatrist, a psychologist and myself and an, an, another therapist for about three years. And the majority of what we saw were um, boys. Mm-hmm. Like, and some girls uh, who really uh, had a, had difficulty with attention deficit disorder, and um, sometimes the the medications would make a big difference, and the families would go away. I would claim prematurely because these kids still had problems with social relationships. They still had problems with some academic learning that was going on, and they still had problems with family relationships. And you know, talking about systems. <laughs> Uh, you know, we're talking about peers, we're talking about um, teachers and administrators, and we're talking about family members. And, um, you know, my concern with these families and, and what I would express to them is I, I know things are better. I'm really happy that things are better. I, I, the, 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 the impact uh, of the medication is a very positive thing. But we need to, we need to sit and work together around these other three areas that uh, are very much still because, you know, they haven't changed in that sense. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. problematic for, you know, your child. And um, I want to make sure that we spend time talking about this and, and thinking about ways that all each one of those things can be focused on and improved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it didn't stay, uh, which which was very uh, sad to me. Uh, but... Uh, but again, uh, talking about the system of a of a elementary age boy's you know life, it's peers and school and and family. Um, yes. yes. And as you know, because you probably have worked with families with kids with ADHD, uh, it can be it can be very damaging. Repair mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. time, being being able to change things and mm-hmm. and uh, um, help this you know, child engage in life differently. Uh, It's very important. Yeah. You know, I'm going to, I'm sure, probably mention this statement with just about every discussion about family therapy and attachment theory that I'm having with folks. And that is that some people say John Bowlby was one of the first family therapists. Um, Uh And of course, there might have, there were probably family therapists before that, um, but you know that he he was. Um, I think reactive attachment disorder gets it kind of wrong. Um, he was talking about a dyadic relationship between a caregiver and a child. So he was talking systemically, not that there's some you know pathology that resides in a child independent of the caregiver right. in fact that's the opposite of what he was saying uh-huh. um, so you know what do you think about that do do you uh think that thinking was who do you think was some of the earliest family systems thinkers <laughs> well i i think john bobby gets gets uh the nod a lot but uh you know, for me in my own training, Virginia Satir, Salvador Mnuchin, um, uh, Marie Bowen, Betty Carter, Monica McGoldrick, August August Silverstein at the Ackerman Institute, Peggy Papp was there. Um, those were all the people that, as I did my training and read and uh, practiced, were the people that kind of most influenced um, 
the way I thought it worked. Um, certainly more recently, um, Sue Johnson and Les Greenberg and the Gottmans and um, Dan Weil, you know, those folks have um, contributed a lot. But uh, w- when I think of early family systems, I think of that group in the city. Carl Whitaker, um, even though he was he was uh, a little um, unorthodox. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's kind of the group that comes to mind when I think of, I mean, Bowlby goes back to the 40s, which really is amazing. Yes. When you think about him doing that back then and it really being 20 years or more before, I think the theories and practitioners really began to emerge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I do want to talk about some of those different people and just maybe one or two highlights um, uh, of some of their contributions that stand out to you. But before that, um, I also have some different, like, I guess you would say catchphrases or slogans in my mind that I would like you to talk about. And one I just used today in a situation and that was um children can become pretty sick if they think it will keep their parents together uh-huh and um what what what, what say you what, what would you say because that's a statement i've heard from family therapists in courses that i've taken and what do, what do you think about that is there a truth to that what does that even mean to you well, I, I've seen cases where um, children and even young adults have um, become symptomatic uh, in the face of what what is an obvious conflict, open conflict, sort of an unresolvable, seemingly open conflict between parents. Um, and, and as I said, um, you know, to me, in a child's mind, that is a direct threat to their life as they know it um yes ability their security and does it create anxiety absolutely does it create can it create a sense of hopelessness absolutely i think uh, anxiety and depression in, in children can uh be directly connected to overt open unresolvable seemingly conflict between parents because because that's their world you mm-hmm. know Children live in a small world mm-hmm. and, and the security and, um, you know, their ability to see beyond that is limited because their development and brains and just experience with the world is so limited. Mm-hmm. So when, when your world is looking like it's crashing down around you, um, uh, the, the theory is, is that kids become more needy, more helpless uh, as a way of engaging parents in taking care of them, which is a distraction from the parental conflict. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen that. I, I had one young adult actually admit that that uh, she was uh, under-functioning uh, because she uh, didn't know what to do and didn't want either one of her parents to leave the, leave the home. Yes. Wow. She was 19 years old. Wow. That's, and, and the last child to leave college, it's, it's another, you know, notion that um, uh, they're the ones who are kind of responsible for what's going to happen after the parent, 
to the parents after they leave. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, this has been so good so far talking about this uh, system theory and how it relates to children's behaviors. And I'm really excited to continue this conversation with you next week. And um, I think I'm hoping we can take a trip down your memory lane for some of the greats um, in family therapy and have you share some of the highlights from each of them. So stay tuned listeners as we continue our discussion about family therapy and attachment theory next week with Tim Galvin. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site, tkcchaddock.org, or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts for future episodes. If you enjoy our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please visit tkcchaddock.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory.